This is Pastor Andrea Ellis, and I just want to personally welcome you to the Destiny Faith Church podcast. I'm so happy you're with us today. I trust the word of God will inspire you. So please open your heart and enjoy the word. Open up your mind, and I want you to be ready to receive a word from the Lord, a life-changing word from the Lord for you this day. So the topic of my discussion for today is when you're mad at God. When you're mad at God. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. It's immature to be mad at God when things don't go your way. But nonetheless, sometimes, if we're honest, we've been mad at God. So what to do when you're mad at God? The root of anger or being mad is fear. Fear is actually false evidence appearing real. So it's false evidence and it appears real. So based upon how you interpret it, based upon how you react to certain situations, will determine or will demonstrate whether or not with a straight face you're mad at God. I was on the road preaching, and I think Jessica and Sydney and Gabby were with me, and I was ministering in North Carolina, and I was ministering. I, had a, I didn't even know I was, how, how long did I minister to people? So hours, hours upon hours upon hours, because everybody that wanted to be prayed for, I was preaching, praying, and prophesying that day. So by the time the lady got to me, she looked like she wanted to punch me in my face. And I said, well, child of God, how can I pray for you? She said, I'm mad at God. I couldn't believe that she articulated, but I did appreciate her honesty. She said, I'm mad at God. And I said, well, tell me, child of God, why are you mad at God? I'm trying to figure it out. Help me. Give me a revelation, you understand, so I can pray. She said, the Lord took my grandma." I was praying for my grandma to get better. I was praying for my grandma not to die. And I'm mad at God because he took my grandma. And right then and there, I understood that it was how she interpreted. It was the way she was looking at the situation. The way that she looked at the situation was erroneous. So she felt like God did something wrong to her. And I said, oh, let me explain something to you, sugar. I said, the devil pulled the okey-doke. You know what the okey-doke is? He over here, and he tapped your arm on this side so you look that way. He, He over here, though. He's tapping you on this side so you look that way. He wants you to think that God did something to you out of order. But here's the thing. If you reference scripture, you will see that God never takes anybody deceased. He only took the one man 
and he took him alive. I said, so God didn't take your grandma. Listen to me. She was elderly. She had some medical situations. You don't even know if her will changed. Her will could have changed and say, I'm ready for my reward. Let me take off this broke down body and get my reward. So God did not take your grandma. Listen to me right here. This is going to help you. He received her. Come on. It's all about the way you look at it. It's one thing for God to take somebody. And it's a whole other thing when God receives them. Enter into my rest. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You fought the good fight of faith. Now come on in and enter into he receives. Come on. The enemy wants to accuse God before you so that you're mad at it's immature to be mad at God when things don't go your way. The writer says, when I was a child, I understood as a child. I thought as a child. I even spoke as a child. But when I became a grown man or a mature adult, I put away childish things. The thing that always touches me with that is, the writer never says, I grew out of it. <laughs> he never said, I grew out of it. He never said, I outgrew it because we don't outgrow some stuff. Some stuff we have to put aside. It's all about the way you look at it. Let me give you my definition of anger. Anger is displeasure, being belligerent, resentful, annoyed, indignant, outraged, infuriate, infuriated, throwing a temper tantrum. Everybody looks straight ahead. Mad, ticked off, or raging. When you're mad at God. Sometimes our anger is misplaced. We mad at the wrong person. Am I making face to anybody? I had to check one of my spiritual daughters. She flipped the attitude. I said, oh, whoa, whoa, wait. I said, wait now. You're tripping on the wrong one. I'm the one here praying for you, the one helping you. So check that attitude and check it to the right person because your anger is misplaced. What are the triggers? Frustration, disappointment, feeling powerless, feeling helpless, feeling threatened, feeling wronged, feeling attacked. When you are mad at God. Let me give you a revelation. There's danger to your anger. There's danger to your anger. James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, and the New King James Version reads this way. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not 
produce the righteousness of God. Listen to me. Your anger is not going to produce the right results. Listen to me. Your anger towards God will not produce the right results for you. Let's read it in the voice translation. It says, listen, open your ears, harness your desire to speak. Sometimes when you just want to say something, so sometimes you just have to study to be quiet. You can't utter everything that comes to your mind. Come on, everything that comes to your mind, you got to say it, you got to post it, you got to rant, you got to wait. Stop t- Sometimes study to be quiet until your faith arises. Because often we don't want the results that come from our anger. It says in the voice, listen, open your ears, harness your desire to speak, and don't get worked up into a rage so easily, my brothers and my sisters. Human anger is is a futile exercise, listen, that will never produce God's kind of justice in this world. Come on. It also, the scripture also says, be angry, but sin not. So you can can feel some kind of way, but that's when you be honest with God and honest with yourself. Come on and get a revelation that anger again is displeasure, belligerent, resentful, annoyed, indignant, outraged, infuriated, throwing a temper tantrum. Listen to me. We think temper tantrums are just for children. Oh, no, 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 they're not. Adults have temper tantrums, too. Remember the writer says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. I still wanted to rage. I still wanted to throw some temper tantrums. But I made a decision that that was going to short-circuit my faith. So I made a correction. I made an adjustment in my speaking. Come on and get a revelation in here today. This is still your year. This is still the year of illumination. This is still the year of revelation. This is still, listen, it's only March. Why are you tripping out? It's only March. It's only the middle of March. It's not even the end of March. It's just the middle of March. Why are you tripping? Come on. This is your year of illumination. This is your year of revelation. This is your year of manifestation. Who am I talking to? This is the year of your life defined with meticulous detail. Oh, good God Almighty, I feel the Holy Ghost. This is your year of life, unmistakably true for you. This is your year of completion, newness, and upgrade, abundance, expansion, and fruitfulness. This is your... Oh, hallelujah. This is your year of prophetic fulfillment. This is your year of divine relationships. This is your year of divine marriages. Do you believe it? This is your year of walking in the fruit of the Spirit. This is your year of flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. This is your year of manifestation. Do you believe it? Do you receive it? Regardless of what has transpired from January 1 up until this day, God is immutable, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed his mind. Oh, he has not changed his mind about you. Oh, God, I feel the preacher coming on me. Hold your your mule, Pastor. Hold your mule. Hold your mule, Pastor. 
you have to remember the ABCs of faith. Even when things jump off that we don't like. Don't you understand? Things are going to jump off that we don't like. Things that we don't appreciate. I don't appreciate this. I don't like this. Things are going to happen. As long as we live in this world, we're going to have to go through some situations. But here's the kicker. When I go through, I'm not going through all by myself. The songwriters say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And then he switched. He said, for thou art with me. He'd been talking about the Lord the whole time. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. He'd been talking about the Lord the whole time. By the time he got to that stanza and he realized when I go through, I'm not going through by myself. When I go through, I'm not going through by myself. When I go through, I'm not by myself. Thou art with me. When his presence is with me, that means his person is with me. It means his power is with me. It means his provision is with me. It means his prosperity is with me. Everything that I need is with me in his presence. The scripture says in his presence is fullness of joy. Listen to me. My greatest need, get a revelation right here. My greatest need is not stuff. My greatest need is not a man, not a woman, not a thing, not some money. My greatest thing is his presence. That's the greatest need that I have. I need his presence more than I need the oxygen flowing in and out of my lungs. I need thee, oh, I need thee every day and every hour. I need thee. Come on, I've taught you how to navigate through difficulty. Come on, I've taught you how to navigate through difficulty. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Isn't that what the book says? But the Lord delivereth them out of them Oh, every single solitary one of them. You don't have to stumble, fumble, crumble, or fall because his presence is with you. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. I've taught you this, how, and, and Elena said it in, during the offering. This is what we do. This is how we, this, listen to me. The just shall live by faith. Faith is not just up to get something, just go throw your faith up to get something. This is a, a whole lifestyle. This is how we do this. We ask, believe, confess, demonstrate, expect, forgive, and give. Did y'all think we just said that just for something cute to say on a Sunday morning? This is how we are supposed to live our lives. We walk by faith and not by and when I fight the good fight of faith, because it's a fight sometimes, because, listen to me, we still got some immature ways in us. And because we have some immature ways in us and we look at situations from a lopsided perspective, I got to fight to stay in faith. According to Hebrews 10 and 38, he said, don't draw back in your faith because then I'll have no pleasure in you. Why? Because he takes pleasure in prospering you. How can he prosper you when you pull back in your faith and you start ranting and raging and throwing temper tantrums? Call yourself mad at God because you've looked at it from the wrong perspective. Come on.
on, just make an adjustment in your seat. Just make an adjustment. Nobody has to know. If you keep a straight face, nobody will know I'm talking about you. Just make an adjustment in your seat. And as we live by faith, there are five expectations to our faith. When I stay in faith, when I fight to stay in faith, even when I'm so-called mad at God because I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, all of these things that trigger me, all of these things that try to incite my anger against God, when I fight and I stay in faith, I stay in faith. Listen to me, I tell you like God told me as a 19-year-old college student. He said, be honest with yourself and be honest with me. Jerk the slack right on out of me. Be honest with yourself. And be honest with me. That's how God told me. Because I was looking at things from a lopsided, wopsided perspective. So I was tripping and I was living my life lopsided. But he said, be honest with yourself. And be honest with me. When you do that, these are the things that you can expect. You can expect a plan of action. God will give you a plan of action. Unless you call yourself mad at him and ain't talking to him. How can he give you anything and you shut down? You close the door. You're not talking to him. He's going to give you the wisdom of God. Not just knowledge, but wisdom. Wisdom will take you further than knowledge. Wisdom on what to do in, in, in any particular situation, in any circumstance. He'll give you the favor of God. Favor ain't fair. He'll give you a miracle from God. God still works miracles. Remember I said, look, 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 look. Here comes your miracle. Y'all start pointing back to me that day. said, Pastor, here comes your miracle. Here comes your miracle. The next day, I was attacked in my body, and guess what? I still got my miracle. Oh, hallelujah, somebody. Hallelujah, somebody. And then God will give you the strength to endure. Come on, hold on just a little while longer. Your change is about to come. Listen to me. Don't poop out before you get there. Don't poop out in your faith. Don't throw down your faith. Remember the, the Roman soldiers, they didn't, nobody was bad enough to beat them. How did they get beat? They start laying their shield over to the side, laying their weapons up. They start taking stuff off. This is too heavy. This is too high. You were unbeatable. You begin to lay stuff and fling things aside. But God will give you strength to endure. We've been talking about David when he was trying to take the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Abinadab to Jerusalem. God said, I want my name in Jerusalem. When you call his name, that has reference to his presence, right? Remember, the greatest need I have is his presence. The greatest need is not stuff. The greatest need is his presence. When I call his name, I'm calling his presence. When I call his presence, I'm calling a person. When I'm calling a person, I'm calling his power. When I'm calling his power, I'm calling his provision. I'm calling his prosperity. I'm calling everything that I have need of. Here's the problem. We've reached past the person and want his presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. We've reached past his P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, reaching around him for his P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Come on, but everything that I need, listen to me, everything that you could possibly ever need is in his presence. Come on, I'm going to keep saying I'm going to say it till I wear you out with it. I'm going to say it till I wear you out with it. Because everything that you need is in his presence. He wants you to be present in his presence. 
because we can get into a routine and just do things rotely and remotely, almost not even thinking about it until we don't see him anymore. But don't you want to see him? I need to see him in all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his majesty. I need to be captivated by his presence, not captivated by what's going on, captivated by what I need and what I thought. And by now I thought and I thought you would do all of this stuff. Come on. When I was a child, I understood as a child and I spoke as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, when I became grown, you, you can't stay a baby Christian forever. It's time to grow up. Listen to me. If you're going to go up, you're going to have to grow up. Come up in here with me. Listen, a songwriter says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I like that scripture because it means something to me. Because I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I've walked through some difficult times. And when I walked through, I realized I wasn't out by myself. Here's the deal. Here's the real kicker, and I'm sure I can get a witness up in here on this one. You'll begin to see who's who when you go through stuff. You get, you begin to see who's who when you go through. And when a person go through that thing with you, you know they real. So pay attention to who is with you when you're going through something. Pay attention to who is with you. Pay attention to how they act when you're going through. So when I've been going through, I paid attention to God's character. He was still loving. He was still kind. He was still generous. Listen to me. Even when I stepped into stuff that I brought on myself. Anybody going to be honest enough to say that everything that, everything that you have gone through haven't been the devil. Some of it's been you. <laughs> everything wasn't the enemy. Some of it was the enemy. And in, even in spite of that, he was still with me. Never leaving me, never forsaking me, never throwing me on the side of the road, never abandoning me, never beating me in the head and reminding me of my past mistakes. But he was always loving and he was always kind. The, the writer goes on to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, but thou art with me. He said, that rod and that staff, they What's the next stanza? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. <laughs> Thou anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall, what's that word shall mean? No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It never said that the songwriter was perfect. Never said that he didn't make no mistakes. And we know his life. We know David's life. And we know he made mistakes. But God was with when you go through difficulties and you go through it acknowledging the presence of God, you begin to see God's character in the middle of the situation. Even though the situation may be difficult, it may be hard, it may be painful, but you begin to see God's character in the situation. You begin to see who he really is and, and how he really is. He's very loving and he's very kind in spite of. When we were talking about David trying to take the Ark of the Covenant from Abinadab's house to Jerusalem, 
where it, where it belonged. There was a whole process involved in that transaction. When I stop and I think about the Ark of the Covenant, you know the Ark of the Covenant was a big box overlaid with pure gold. The top of it was pure gold, and it was known as the mercy seat. They had the cherubim on the front facing each other, facing each other, and this is where the presence of God manifested itself. But when I look back to the, to the track record of the Ark of the Covenant, listen to me, the Ark of the Covenant was given as, a, as the place where God's presence lived. God's presence lived there because this was before Jesus. Once Jesus came and laid his life down and picked it back up, then God lived big on the inside of us. Remember he called his name Emmanuel? That means in man I dwell. I don't have to dwell in a box no more. Now I want to dwell inside my man. Are you listening to me? So Jesus brought us back, put us in a position to where the presence of God doesn't have to reside in a box. Oh, hallelujah. The presence of God can live big on the inside of us. Are you listening to me? So when I looked at it, I remember when the uh, ark was stolen away from uh, Eli because Phineas and Hophni, they were just treacherous. They were doing all kind of simple things in the temple of God. And the, uh, Eli was so big and overweight because he was undisciplined and he never disciplined his sons. When he found out that the ark had been stolen by the Philistines, he fell backwards and he was so obese and so overweight, he fell and he broke his neck. Then his, his daughter, his daughter-in-law was having a baby. She burned a baby and she said, Ichabod, which means the glory of God is gone. The presence of God is gone. That's the only way that they could experience God's presence in the Old Testament before Jesus came in the B.C. times. The only way they experienced his presence was his presence he did in a, in a golden box. Inside the box were the Ten Commandments. Inside the box was a golden pot of manna. Inside the box was Aaron's rod, which represents deliverance from all of the temptations, tests, and trials, everything that God had delivered them through for the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. All of that was inside of the box. And the rod began to sprout. Had almonds and leaves and uh, how does a, a broke-off branch sprout? It began to sprout. This was indicative of God's power. So the presence of God was there, and they took the presence of God everywhere with them through their journey in the wilderness. Now, because the presence was so powerful, his presence is so powerful, his presence was so powerful, they had to have a whole separate tent for the presence. They called it the tabernacle. So at the tabernacle, meaning they would come before the ark and they would make sacrifices and they would worship and they would do all kinds because the ark represented the manifest presence of God. Listen to me. It represented God's presence. Now here's the, here's the deal. The ark had been with the Philistines. They stole it. They, that was a conquest for them. So they put the ark in there with their uh, lowercase god, with their idol. Dagon. Dagon was their idol. Dagon looked like a merman. It's a man body at the top and a fish body, and they, they worship. They had to worship idols that they made with their own hands, right? Y'all get a revelation because we're running out of time. So they put the they put the ark of the presence of God in there with their idol. When they came back, Dagon had fell prostrate down on the ground. The whole statue was prostrate, laying on the ground. Every time they put Dagon in the presence of God by the, by the Ark of the Covenant, the thing would fall down. Oh, come on and get a revelation because y'all making me preach hard and I don't have that much time. The, the idol would fall. Didn't the word of God say every knee would hush up? Every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. Dagon got to bow too. 
they lifted them back up because they had a dumb God. They had a dumb idol, one that couldn't talk, wouldn't, couldn't speak, couldn't do a thing. All he could do was fall down and bow down to, to God. They propped him back up this time when they came back. The idol had fell, the head fell off, and the arms fell off, which means his authority was gone and his strength was gone. Ah! His strength was gone when he came in contact with the presence of God. Then, because they did not value or didn't regard the presence of God in the covenant, a, a plague broke out on them. So a plague was in this city. So they thought there was something. Well, let's take this thing to the next city. Every city they took the ark to, they, a plague broke out. They said, let's take this ark back to where it belongs. Let's get this presence out of here. Because the same presence that was a blessing to them, I'm on the opposite side of the blessing. I'm on the cursed side. And everybody getting sick and dying. So many people that said, let's take the ark back. That's how the ark got over to Abinadab's house. And the ark had been at Abinadab's house for 20 years. He was a priest, and he was, his job was to care for and make, take, take care of his, his son Eliezer was supposed to take care and protect the ark. So the ark had been in a, Abinadab's house for 20 years. So how many times in 20 years do you think Hophni and uh, Uzzah walked, I mean, um, Ohio and uh, Uzzah walked past the ark? not regarding the presence because they had seen it probably all their lives. Seen the presence of God, but didn't regard the presence of God. So David, one of his first, one of his first uh, noble acts as the new king was to take the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence, which represented the person, which represented the power, which represented the provision, which represented the prosperity. Let me take the Ark to Jerusalem where God said, I want my name to be anyway. But they lived all up in the hilly ground and all this hilly places, everything was hilly. They said, let's get it, let's get it and put it on a cart. Where did they get that from? That's how the Philistines had taken the Ark and put it on a, on a cart. Now you mimicking how the Philistines handle your God's presence? I trust that word blessed your life. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Don't forget to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. And I want you to know that at Destiny Faith Church, we're more than a church, we're a family.